0: Uh, what does your future hold? Uh, what is kind of on the horizon, down the road of life for you? You know, Some of us are moving back home uh, for study or moving away uh, and there's a whole lot of uncertainty as to what the future might hold. How are you feeling about your future? Are you anxious about your future? Are you excited about your future? Uh, is the future bright or gloomy? Uh, do you feel that the best years are ahead of you? or the best years are behind you. Uh, A few years ago, Adele and I lived uh, not too far from a spiritualist church. Uh, Now, a spiritualist church is a a gathering place for kind of clairvoyants and psychics and fortune tellers and future predictors and people like that. They'd get together. Uh, They'd get together. I think what they'd do there is they'd get together and they'd do fortune telling. They'd read tarot cards. They'd channel the dead or something like that. Uh, But this local spiritualist church that was near us, it uh, was having a really difficult time. They found themselves in this kind of bitter battle over who actually owned the building that they used for their gatherings. And in this battle, kind of money had gone missing. There was a motorcycle gang that was rumoured to be involved because they wanted the property because the property was kind of in the inner west of Sydney, worth quite a lot of money. A dodgy lawyer turned up and seemed to make a whole lot of uh, cash out of the whole thing as well. Uh, And and at the end, the spiritualist church that uh, was around the corner from us, it had to break up and close down. Uh, it kind of made the papers and one of the former members of that church was interviewed in the paper and they this is what they said they said I know we're meant to be psychics but none of us saw this coming I know we're meant to be psychics but none of us saw this coming that, that's my favorite one of my favorite lines I've ever seen in the newspaper uh, one morning uh, but if you know Jesus you don't need to be a psychic to know what is coming You don't need to be a psychic to know what is coming. If you know Jesus, resurrection shapes your future. Resurrection actually shapes the future of every person in this room. It shapes the the future of every person that has ever lived. And this morning we're going to ask ourselves the question, why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? What difference does it make that the tomb was empty that Easter Sunday? And hopefully we're going to see the difference that the resurrection makes. Uh, But I've got three things for us to consider. First, the resurrection happened. It was physical and historical. The second is it authenticates Jesus. Jesus is who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. And the last is it's the foundation for our future. We find our future in Jesus' resurrection, our future hope. Uh, So firstly, it happened. The resurrection of Jesus, it was physical and historical. Now, it was on Good Friday... Uh, that as predicted in the Old Testament and promised repeatedly by Jesus himself that on Good Friday Jesus was publicly crucified. He was put to death on the cross taking the punishment that we deserve for the way that we treat one another and the way that we treat God and he took the suffering and the pain and the shame in our place because he loves us. But then on Easter Sunday, a couple of days later, he came alive again and he's been alive ever since. Now, when we examine the evidence fairly, which I think everyone should at some point in their life, you'll find that the evidence for Jesus' physical and historical resurrection, it's actually quite overwhelming. But to begin with, on the cross, firstly, he was was definitely dead. Jesus hadn't, some people say he just had fallen asleep or he'd fainted or something. No, he was definitely dead on the cross. We know this because after kind of being brutally tortured and publicly crucified in front of a crowd, he hung on that cross for nine hours and, and when they finally came to stick a spear through his side, the blood and the water came out separately. And the way that it would work is that towards the end of the day, the soldiers would inspect the bodies on the cross. So they'd execute them and then at the end of the day, they would, they would come and inspect them to see that they had died. And if they hadn't died, what the soldiers would do, they'd, they'd break their legs to speed up the process because the soldiers, they, you know, they wanted to get the bodies off the cross because they wanted to go home. Uh, you can't leave someone who's not yet dead up on a cross if you're supposed to be killing them because someone could come and take them down and they could come alive and they could kind of recover. Uh, so the soldiers go to check Jesus to see if he's dead and if he's not dead, they're going to break his legs. And we read this in John chapter 19. John chapter 19, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead... They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Now, when they came to Jesus, these expert executioners came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. And the blood and the water, they came out of Jesus' side separately. That only happens if you're dead. So Jesus on the cross was really dead The second important fact is that the tomb on Easter Sunday was really empty. The body of Jesus was definitely gone. Now, the tomb which they put Jesus in, the soldiers knew where it was and they were guarding it. The women who went to find Jesus, uh, they knew where it was because they watched the body get placed in there, the Bible tells us. And the disciples, they knew which tomb it was as well because it was one of their number who owned the tomb. But on that first Easter Sunday... When they go to look for it, no one can find the body of Jesus. They all knew which was the right tomb, but it was empty, it was gone. The only thing they find there are the strips of linen and that the, the, the body had been wrapped in and those strips of linen are now neatly folded in the tomb. And the fact that the linen is there makes absolutely no sense. If you wanted to rob a tomb and steal a body, uh, the linen was really the only thing worth taking. It was the only thing worth of value and it makes no sense to unwrap the dead body and steal it. It would be kind of, who wants to steal a kind of naked, bloating, decaying body rather than the valuable grave clothes in which it's wrapped up in? It's absurd to think that, that someone who came to rob the tomb would leave the linen and take the body. He's definitely gone. No one could explain it. No one could find the body. He was dead, He was buried and the tomb was empty, but most importantly, he was definitely seen alive. He was definitely seen alive after Easter Sunday. Uh, Now, the New Testament is full of personal eyewitnesses uh, that record that Jesus came alive again. Hundreds of people saw him over a period of about a month. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, the Apostle Paul writes this. In 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Now, do you see what Paul is doing there? Paul is inviting the readers to go and check out his facts. Some of these people that Paul is talking about is are still alive at the time that Paul writes this, and Paul is saying, go talk to them. Go meet with these people. Ask them what they saw. They will tell you that Jesus was really alive. And unlike the fleeting glimpses that people might have of Elvis at the 7-Eleven, Jesus, he stuck around with people. He, He talked with them. He ate meals with them. He went for walks with them. He had conversations with them. He was really alive. They could see the scars there, but he was obviously physically alive. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection, kind of he lived on in the hearts of his followers. It wasn't a a mass hallucination where they all just kind of imagined that he was alive. He was physically alive. It was a historical event that took place. And when you look at it, uh, and we've only had the briefest glance at at it this morning, there's so much more we could add, like the fact that all the disciples and the apostles continued to believe that he was alive and, and they would lay down their life on the fact that Jesus was alive and you wouldn't do that if you knew it was a lie. If you look at all the evidence, it's overwhelming. And the Apostle Paul, he's willing to bet bet all of Christianity on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And he kind of takes all the chips and he puts them all in and says, we're all in for the resurrection. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if Christ has not been raised. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Paul is saying, if Jesus did not rise, we are wasting our time. We may as well pack up and Go outside and enjoy the the sunshine. Jesus rose physically. He rose historically. And Paul is putting Christianity's head on the chopping block of the resurrection and is inviting anyone, anyone to come and take a swing. And here we are 2,000 years later and Christianity is alive and well because Jesus is alive. Now, uh, to be honest, uh, the historical and physical resurrection of Jesus, it's not the, the, the main question that people in Wellington are asking. Uh, the people in Wellington, uh, what they care about is, so what? What does it matter? I mean, we're surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people, most of whom don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but more importantly, they don't care whether he did or not anyway. For them, it kind of has zero bearing on their life, or so they think. So as significant as the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is, we really need to get our heads around why it matters. What, what difference does it make that Jesus is alive? Well, the first thing to say is that the resurrection, it authenticates Jesus. It's the evidence to prove that he is who he says he is. It confirms that he's the Christ and it, and it, says it, and it's, it authenticates that he did what he said he would do. It, it completes his work in saving us. So firstly, the resurrection confirms Jesus as the Christ. Uh, now, as we read other gospels, the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus' life, the most spectacular claim that Jesus makes about himself is that he is the Christ, the Messiah, God's long-promised saviour king. A little bit of the backstory is that for hundreds of years, God's people were nothing more than kind of a geopolitical football being kind of kicked around by the regional superpowers of the day. Uh, Twice they'd been invaded and uh, carted off into captivity And they were just a mere shadow of their former glory Under the great king David and Solomon But during these dark years God's people held on to a promise that God had made to them A promise that he was going to send a king who would come and save and rescue his people, a king who would come and bring peace and restoration, a king king who would come and lead them back into God's blessings and this saviour king was known as the Christ or the Messiah which just means the anointed one and Jesus claims to be the embodiment and the realisation and the fulfilment of that promise. Jesus claims to be God's promised saviour king and that claim to be the Christ, it ultimately hinges on his death and resurrection. See in Mark's gospel in chapter 8, Peter is the first one. Peter's the first one to recognise Jesus as the Christ and, and once that cat is out of the bag, Jesus begins to teach them now how he will be the Christ, how he's going to rescue God's people and he says this, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He must be killed and after three days rise again. And that's what, that's what happened, didn't it? It all took place just as Jesus said. And Jesus, he's no psychic. The resurrection wasn't kind of God's attempt to kind of clean up the mess of the cross. Like God had sent Jesus into the world as as his Messiah and Jesus just happened to have gotten crucified on the cross and God's like, how do I fix this? Oh, resurrection. No, this was the plan all the way from the beginning. This is part of God's eternal plan. See, hundreds of years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah spoke of God's promise, the, the, the promised Messiah. He spoke of his suffering and his death and he even spoke of his resurrection. Here's what Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the, Lord, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of of life and be satisfied after he has suffered he will see the light of life and be satisfied you see the resurrection confirms that jesus has done what he said he would do it confirms that he has done what the prophets have said the messiah would do it confirms that he is the christ sent by god and the resurrection it also completes what jesus has come to do If you were here last week, you would have seen that Jesus suffered what we deserved on the cross. He died on the cross taking our penalty for sin and for our shame. Uh, But it's because of the resurrection we can have confidence that that sacrifice, that that payment was effective. It was accepted by God and our sins have actually been forgiven. Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians 15 again. He says this, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What Paul is saying here is that if if, if Jesus' bones are in the dust of Palestine, uh, then the whole of Christianity is a fraud. And if if Jesus just rotted away in a tomb, then we're in serious trouble because we still sit under the judgment of God. We still bear the guilt for our sin. Uh, The debt that we owe God is, is still outstanding if Jesus has not been raised. I don't know about you, but I, one thing I find really awkward when you go to the shops is the bag inspection guy at the door on the way out. Um, the little security guard who wants to look inside your bags to make sure you're not stealing things. I just Every time I walk past them, I feel super awkward. Uh, I feel particularly awkward at Countdown at Petone because you do the self-checkout thing there and it asks if you'd like to print a receipt. And I think, receipts are made of paper. Paper comes from trees. Trees are good. I won't waste paper, so I don't get a receipt. And so then I go to walk out of Countdown at Petoni with, with all my stuff in my bag and the security guy in there wants to look, but I don't have a receipt to show him because I've chosen to do the good thing and not print a receipt. And there's no proof. And it's kind of super awkward standing there going, well, I've just bought this stuff. and I, The resurrection is, is, is proof of purchase. Proof that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Proof that the debt has been paid and it has been accepted by God. Jesus is confirmed as the Christ and he has completed his saving work because he has been raised from the dead. Confirmed by his resurrection that God has accepted his payment for our sin. But this resurrection—it isn't just about Jesus and, and him being alive again. His resurrection is the foundation for our future. It's the foundation for our future, because Jesus is alive. It means that resurrection has begun. Now we might think um, Easter Sunday, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. That's pretty special. That's pretty remarkable. But to be honest, it's—it's it's not actually. It's not. Jesus' resurrection is really just the first of many. Um, We all got excited this week about the Prime Minister giving birth to her baby girl. Um, Matt Bayless had a line, which I thought was very funny, the Prime Minister. Um, Now, births, they're exciting, right? It's good to get excited about a birth. Um, But births are not rare. I mean, everyone here has been born. Birth happens to Everyone. But sadly, death too. Death is tragic and sad and kind of momentous, but it's not uncommon. We're all going to die. And it's the same with resurrection. Resurrection, it, it may be significant. We may only know of one person who has been raised to life, but it will happen to all of us. Resurrection will be as common as birth or Death. It will happen to all of us because Jesus' resurrection means that death has been defeated. And it's not just his death, but all death has been defeated. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 15 again. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So he's making this comparison between Jesus and Adam. On one hand, Adam sinned and brought death into the world, but on the other hand, Jesus has been raised from the dead and he brings resurrection into the world. And this resurrection is for all people. It's for all people, but it isn't good news for all people. John chapter 5, Jesus says this about the resurrection to come. John chapter 5, he says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus' resurrection brings the age of resurrection. All will be raised and some will be raised to life with God and eternal joy with Him. But sadly, others will be raised to condemnation. Life without God. Without everything that is good. Resurrection has begun. And resurrection hope is available. To be raised to life and then look forward to no condemnation. Look forward to life with God. Look forward to eternal blessings with Him. That is available. And it's available and it can change the way that we live now because we can live now with resurrection hope. Hope in this life and hope in the life to come. Uh, The Apostle Peter, he writes to uh, persecuted Christians in his uh, first letter, uh, 1 Peter. Uh, He writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now, do you notice there that uh, Peter doesn't say uh, you can have hope for the future? He doesn't just say that. He says that because of the resurrection, you are born into a living hope, a hope that is now, a hope that is alive with us. And and Peter is talking about uh, this living hope that we can actually take down with us into the trenches of everyday life. See, these Christians that he's writing to, as they're persecuted by those that they live around them because they trust and follow Jesus, the resurrection hope is going to shape the way they live in light of that persecution. Resurrection hope means that we're freed up from the things of this world, from the the difficulty and trouble of this world, because we live for the world to come. Resurrection hope means that we're freed up from finding our meaning and our fulfillment and our future in the stuff around us. We don't need to keep getting more and more things, relationships, status, experiences, to really live life. Those things are great, but resurrection hope tells us that those things are temporary, they are fleeting. You see, resurrection hope, it frees us up to actually enjoy those things for what they are but not to be enslaved to them but not burden those things or those people with, with expectations that they cannot bear because it's just stuff that is passing away. And so resurrection hope tells us that we don't need to find our identity in our job so that when we lose our job or when it doesn't go so well, we can say that's Okay. It's only a job. Your, secure is, your future is secure because Jesus has defeated death. And resurrection hope means that we don't need to find our meaning in our relationships. So when they don't work out the way we had hoped or dreamed, we can say that's okay. Because your meaning and your hope and your purpose is found in Jesus and in a life that goes beyond the grave because he has set you free in this life not to find your meaning in those things, but to free to love and serve those around you. And so we don't need to find our meaning in stuff or cars or houses or bikes or clothes or holidays or whatever, because in the end they break and they wear out and that's okay. That's okay. The resurrection uh, that God has got for us, it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. So we can go out into the world and we can enjoy the things that God has made Just as things, without without pouring all our hopes and dreams into them, without living as though our life depends on them, because it doesn't depend on them. Our life depends on Jesus, and He has been raised, and so we have a living hope with Him. We have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Our future resurrection, it is so certain. Our future inheritance, it is so certain. It is so assured because Jesus is alive. It means that it can transform the way that we think and the way that we live and the way that we experience the world now. Now, this all sounds lovely, but I need to ask, is that your hope? Because the resurrection is is great hope for those who trust and follow Jesus, but the resurrection is scary if you don't. If 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 this life is just eighty years and then you turn back to dust and that's it, then I guess sure go suck the marrow out of life. Uh, but if this life is eighty years and then resurrection to face the judgment of God for how you have treated him, then resurrection is actually scary. Is this your hope, this living hope that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you because Jesus has risen from the dead? If it's not, then the message of the resurrection, which is the message of Paul in Acts chapter 2, is repent, trust in Jesus, be found in him and his resurrection and have his resurrection hope. Now Peter says, uh, Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. Um, if you want the resurrection hope, he says this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means if you say that Jesus is the boss, the king, he's going to sit on the throne of your life, if you, you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Can I urge you, if you do not have resurrection hope, that you come to Jesus now, you confess him as your Lord and you believe that God has raised him from the dead and then you can have the resurrection hope, the living hope, that Peter talks about, that can never perish, spoil or fade. But resurrection hope, it, it is more than just hope for the future. It can change the way that we experience life in this world now. Uh, a lot of you will know that um, our, our son Isaac, our eldest son Isaac, uh, had leukemia in 2016, 2017. Uh, we, we've talked a bit about kind of all, how all that went um, but i can can i just want to say it? resurrection hope changes the way that you deal with your child getting leukemia it really does at one point we were looking at the if you, looking at the numbers of he had a one in, chan, 1 in 10 chance of living the next year that's what we thought we had 1 in 10 chance of overcoming his leukemia And as we looked at him fighting that cancer where every day was a battle we had resurrection hope. We loved our boy, we wanted the best for him but our hope wasn't in him. Our hope is in Jesus. That even if he didn't make it there was life beyond the grave. Life that goes on for eternity. We could live confident that the, that knowledge, confident in the knowledge that, that death is merely a transition, a passageway through to resurrected life, an eternal inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Now, it doesn't mean that for us that journey was easy But it definitely was a journey that was filled with hope. Filled with hope because Jesus really did rise. And because he really did rise, it meant that he was the Christ. It meant that he had paid the penalty for our sin. He had defeated death once and for all, and he had brought in the age of resurrection. Which means we can have true and living hope. We know the future, we can have hope that extends beyond the grave. Because death has been defeated. The grave has been conquered. Jesus is risen. So we can have life ever after. I'm going to pray and then we'll uh, stand and sing those words. Heavenly Father, we, um, we are so thankful that Jesus laid down his life for us but not just laid down his life but that uh, he took his life up again defeating death conquering the grave risen forever and able to offer us life ever after and Lord we pray that if we are someone who doesn't have this hope that you might bring us to confess Jesus as Lord And believe that you raised him from the dead so that we might be saved. And Lord, if we do have this hope, make it real in our life. Help us to not hope in the things of this world, in stuff, in relationships, in status. But help us to hope only in Jesus. The risen Lord and Saviour. Amen.